insurance companies are buying private assets like never before, and asset-backed lending is one of those areas. We're joined today by Connell Haston, partner and head of the insurance services platform at Victory Park Capital. Connell, welcome. Thanks, Stu. I'm really happy to be here. It's great to have you. Before we go any further, let's start off with our first three questions. Connell, hometown, first job of any kind, fun fact. Okay, here we go. Hometown, born in Wilmette, Illinois, raised in St. Louis, Missouri. So let's go with St. Louis, Missouri. All right. First job. In my first summer of high school, I worked on the assembly line at a St. Louis-based manufacturing company that basically made specialized tubes for chemical companies. I love it. All right. What about uh, fun fact? I lived in Seoul, Korea and Jakarta, Indonesia for three years of my life when I was younger. Yeah, there you go. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. So here's the deal. When we first met, and we have some mutual friends in Chicago who are also in the industry, I was not familiar with Victory Park Capital. So before we go any further, maybe some of our listeners aren't familiar as well. Can you give me the high points of Victory Park Capital? Sure. So Victory Park Capital, we're an investment management firm founded in 2007 by Richard Levy and Brendan Carroll with the thesis of investing where banks do not. And so since inception, we invested approximately $8 billion or so, and our primary strategy is in the private credit space with an emphasis on asset-backed lending. And I joined Victory Park in 2018. And as you mentioned, co-founded our insurance services platform. So in addition to to my investing duties, I also make sure that our insurance company investor base can access our private credit strategies in a way that best suits their needs. So this can be through our commingled funds or through a separate account, or we can also invest directly on the insurance company's balance sheet governed by an IMA, which stands for investment management agreement. And so, you know, I have kind of a weird background and, and I think versus kind of some other folks in your space, your background's a little unusual as well in that you came out of the insurance side, right? Yeah, I did not plan to get into the insurance space. No, no one I, does, Connell. None, yeah. of, none of us did. But I'll tell I, you what, I, I'm, I'm generally glad it happened this way, you know? Yeah, it, no, me too. Me too. Absolutely. It's a great a group of people. I started in banking trying to follow a prescribed career path. <laughs> and after banking, I worked uh, as a portfolio manager at a large investment manager, where I first first managed real estate debt, so senior mortgages and mezzanine loans, and then managed private credit um, portfolios on behalf of insurance companies. So this is where I like to say, you know, I met insurance, meaning I learned the language, memorized a few states' statutes, and became familiar with the rules and regulations when investing out of an insurance general account. Then after the investment management firm, I worked for a mid-sized life and annuity provider. And here's where I was tasked to build the internal investment management team. So what we did is we outsourced our publics and then internally ran our private credit portfolio, which was focused on real estate mortgage investments, private loans, and structured products. And this was all out of our general account. So at some point during this journey, I really fell in love with investing out of an insurance vehicles, you know, specifically from a life and annuity perspective, which is where I sat, I appreciated how an investor can really take a long-term investment view 
and take some illiquidity premiums along the way, given that the cash flow profile of its liabilities offer you to do so. And one investment class that I came across was, you know, an asset backed loan strategy, which as I mentioned, is our main credit strategy and a main reason why I thought Victory Park Capital was a great place for me to join in 2018. And it's interesting. I'm not a private credit guy, but I was, I learned a few things and I, I love learning on these podcasts because I get to talk to guys like you. So there is a difference between cash flow lending and asset backed lending. And we're talking specifically today about asset backed lending. Can you tell me, give me the differences so that an audience, somebody, a CIO that just isn't that familiar with the area can understand it kind of starting from square one? Yeah. Um, so cash flow lending is really when a lender determines a loan size based on the borrower's enterprise value with a particular focus on EBITDA and cash flow. In contrast, asset-backed lending, generally speaking, is when the loan attaches specifically to a borrower's assets and that forms the base, you know, the basis of the loan size. And if you look at the ABL market kind of holistically, how we look at it is you can lend to traditional assets like accounts receivable and inventory, which is primarily done by banks. And you can lend to non-traditional assets where we play and most banks do not. And examples of collateral in the non-traditional space can include hard assets like real estate or soft assets like consumer loans, small business loans, or any really verifiable or contractual stream of cash flow. In the direct cash flow world, it kind of, you know, you have broadly syndicated loans, which they call BSL loans, and that's mainly where banks play. You have middle market loans and lower middle market loans, and that's mostly where non-banks play. So it follows the same themes. Asset back lending follows the same themes as cash flow lending, but it's just a, a different structure. Okay, that helps. So can you walk me through what a typical Victory Park Capital asset back loan looks like? Yeah, so the general characteristics that our loans have is it's senior secured, delayed draw term loan. And when I say delayed draw term loan, that just means we don't fund every the entire commitment on day one. It funds over time. All of our loans have floating rate coupons and all of our loans have a full suite of covenants. And we directly originate all our loans and therefore we're generally the sole lender and always the agent because we like we like to control you know everything we can and often our borrower is a bankruptcy remote spv uh, which stands for special purpose vehicle um, which is basically a wholly owned subsidiary of the corporate entity versus lending to the corporate entity itself and spv right so spv and covenants a special if i understand this right and believe me when i tell you practicing law without a license, here we go. And SPV is what's known as bankruptcy remote, right? So if the entity that issues the thing somehow fails, the SPV entity survives, it is not going to be attached to the issuer's failure. Is that why it's done that way? Yes, it's exact. I mean, practicing without a license, Stu, I don't think so. You're, you're a pro. Um, <laughs> okay. I'll I, I think I'll take yeah, it. The, the reason for it is just to get access to our collateral is, you know, quickly in the event we need to. And so you're exactly right. Structuring it in that way allows you to do so. With regard to covenants, I think 
in private assets, that's a really important consideration because there's a liquidity premium that you mentioned. Can you talk about the typical structure of a loan like this? Yeah, I'll talk about kind of our structure and then the covenants that go with that and, and some other operational controls that we have. So we lend at a max advance rate against the eligible collateral, which defines our borrowing base. And we set what's eligible and what's not at loan origination. And keep in mind that our borrowing base moves. So meaning it's dynamic pool of collateral versus a static pool of collateral. So that's for example, a really interesting point, right? I mean, that's a very important point that it's not a static pool. And if something, if I understand this correctly, if something does default in the collateral pool, then it's swapped out for performing collateral. Is that, if I got that about right? You're right. It's important. And you're exactly right. It can be swapped in kind with an eligible receivable or whatever the collateral is, or in cash by the company because they have to meet the max LTV. LTV, loan to value. Loan to value, right. Okay. You're right on. So the borrowing base should always consist of eligible assets, which since we set the eligibility are always performing assets. And then, you know, as the borrowing base grows, that's why it's a delayed draw term loan. So does our loan. So that's the general structure. And as far as covenants, we have, and covenants are very important to us. And we set covenants at the borrower level, which is the asset level. And those are a little bit different than what's eligible and what's not. These are portfolio concentration limits. And there's a whole suite of asset level covenants you can, you can have depending on what the collateral is. And in addition to those covenants, we also set corporate level covenants. And that could be you know, liquidity covenants, net worth covenants. So we have, from the covenant perspective, two lines of defense, if you will. And in addition to that, we actively manage all of our loans. And really, we do that by operational controls and ongoing portfolio management. So operational controls can be, you know, we have security over bank accounts. Sometimes we have corporate guarantees. And then from ongoing portfolio management, we're, we're able to actively manage these loans because we most often have board observation rights, et cetera. So we like, to, we like to say we wake up and go to bed thinking about risk management. I think I hear that at Victory Park Capital twice a day. And what that means is, in other words, we, we have to monitor the performance of our loan collateral because that is the entire point of our underwriting. And given that there could be thousands of underlying receivables or loans or whatever the collateral is in our borrowing base, you know, we have a full team that monitors that weekly or even sometimes even daily, depending on the type of collateral. You know, I mean, I think, you know, having run money for insurance companies for a lot of years and working on the insurance side, I think that downside protection is always at the as front of mind for insurance investors in particular, right? It's, you know, return of capital, you know, Trump's return on capital. So it's an important point with regard to the risk management and particularly right now, I mean, we really didn't talk about structure in terms of floating versus fixed rate. Right now, we've got a market of high inflation. There's a lot of macro risks. We've gotten you know, a gas tax holiday. That's another form of stimulus. That's not a political remark at all. It's just a fact. And you've got rates that are significantly higher. I looked yesterday, the 2 to 10 looks flat. 2 to 30 looks flat or pretty flat. How do you see this asset book loan strategy performing from here forward, given that here is a lot different than here was six months ago or seven months ago? 
Yeah, I mean, so we're certainly in a market environment that creates a lot of uncertainty. And so you really want to be in defense strategies. I mean, rates, you know, there's supply chain issues, there's a war going on, there's volatility, not only in the fixed income space, but in the equity space. So, you know, I think this is, you know, private credit holistically, you know, aspect lending or direct cash flow lending, you know, really is a defense strategy. And then from an insurance, you know, perspective and asset allocation, I think private credit, both direct cash flow lending and asset back lending, you know, have become an extremely attractive asset class due to just compelling risk adjusted returns. So insurance investors now have comfort with private credit. It's more mainstream, has proven success through multiple cycles. And, you know, if you look at our ABL strategy, it's a great complement to other private credit strategies in an insurance investment portfolio. I think it, the loan profile matches well with an, an insurance company balance sheet from my perspective, from a life and annuity uh, perspective. I think these companies, you know, can, and in my opinion, should take on some illiquidity premiums in private credit. And to answer your question on, on really the characteristics of our loan and how I think these characteristics can help in a time of uncertainty, you know, let me, I'll just focus on four things. We're floating rate, so that helps with interest rate volatility. Two, we're senior secured in the capital stack, so that helps with equity valuation volatility. So we're kind of insulated in the capital stack. Three, we're asset-backed, which helps with recovery rates in a higher default environment, which looks like um, a lot of people think we're heading towards. And four, you know, our loans do pay monthly interest. So from an insurance perspective, it's helpful for any J-curve risk and a really good match for, you know, a life insurance company's cash flow characteristics of their liabilities. And also, I guess I'll add one, one other thing, you know, it's private credit. And it, so there's capital efficient ways to enter that space. And, you know, outside of other things we do, like structured products and mortgages, you know, which there are ways to access this space, both direct cash flow lending and asset back lending, where it's not so capital intensive, you know. So I think it's a really good space to allocate some of your portfolio in, in especially in today's market. But, you know, insurance, it's, it's a small margin business. So, you know, as crediting rates rise, you still need to make that spread on the investment side. And I don't think that's going away. Yeah, I saw a slide from St. John's University yesterday that showed over the last 15 or 20 years, I mean, that you know, the investment portfolio of these insurance companies drive results, right? You know, Buffett proved that years ago. You know, it's interesting, I think, I mean, I guess just to kind of, you know, a little bit off topic, but do you see the flow of funds to private assets continuing at the current pace as rates increase, nominal rates increase? Have you uh, experienced any changes in the flow of funds there? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think it's pretty attractive. I mean, the floating rate aspect of this helps with raising interest rate environment. But even, I mean, again, you know, the insurance companies crediting rates, you know, let's talk about an annuity company, for an example, like seven-year MIGAs are at four and a half percent last time I checked, which was yesterday. Add some SG&A in that, you know, you're at, call it five-ish and the investment grade corporate single A index is at four, you know, 4.8% today. So you, you and, that, and that don't you, work. You, 
that does not work. And, <laughs> and that's, why the, that's why insurance companies started getting into private credit. Now they have comfort with it because they've seen the realized performance. It's a part of a lot of insurance companies asset allocation. And I think that continues to stay because, you know, it's a spread business. And, and if you put everything into single A to triple A, very liquid securities, you, um, it's really hard to make money. So. Right. I mean, and you mentioned, you know, liquidity. I do think the regulator, I mean, by all indications, the most recent regulatory changes that seem to make it easier for insurance companies to hold private credit you know, hopefully get some relief for, uh, I mean, you know, CIOs have a very tough job these days. I mean, seven months ago, all anybody was talking about was finding yield. And today, as you concluded this podcast with our more focused remarks, you know, everybody's talking about risk management. You know, the landscape's changing. and It's an interesting asset class and one that I wasn't familiar with. And and I really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us a walkthrough kind of I certainly came out knowing a lot more and I hope our listeners did too. Thanks, Stu. It's great. Everything you do in the insurance space is very interesting. I'm an avid follower of your other um, podcasts. So That admission right there, Connell, will crush your social life. <laughs> you may have just had some invitations canceled just on that comment alone. <laughs> you know, that's, that's okay. That's I, I appreciate your kind words. I really do. And uh it's great to meet you. We've got mutual friends here in Chicago and, uh, you know, we're very happy to have you on the platform and, you know, I appreciate everything very much. You've come a long way from that manufacturing assembly line in St. Louis to here as a partner of Victory Park Capital. And uh, congratulations on your success and success of the firm. Oh, you too, Stu. We want to hear your ideas for future podcasts. Please email me at podcast at insuranceaum.com. I'm Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast.